Hi, welcome to today's episode of Priority Status by J Public Relations. This is Amy Ogden, Senior Vice President of Brand at JPR. Today's guest is Marissa Costa. As the founder of Amico, an exclusive social network for modern travel advisors, the creator and former director of Next, an agent training initiative of Pro Travel, Zell Travel, and global board member of Young Traveler Professionals, Marissa Costa is one of the leading voices for millennial travel advisors. Today, she talks to us about her experience recruiting, training, and launching new talent for top luxury agencies, the Millennial Advisor, mindset, and what it takes to make it as a modern agent. Please enjoy this episode. Hi, Marissa. Hi, Amy. Thank you so much for having me. We're really thrilled to have you here with us today. I know I gave our listeners a little bit of information about you to start, but I'd love for you to introduce yourself. So um, my name is Marissa Costa. I run an organization called Amico, which is a social network for modern travel advisors. And the whole purpose behind Amico is really to bring together the new generation of advisors to share information, content, contacts, and really help each other grow our businesses. That's great. So for our listeners, many of whom work in hotels or with travel brands, destinations, and also work in media and PR, like what is a modern travel advisor? I think that modern advisors are kind of a hybrid of agent and influencer. Um, definitely micro-influencer. We don't have millions of followers by any means, but the people who follow us on social media are looking to us for advice the same way they would with their friends, for inspiration through our Instagram posts. They're really... um, The influencers are really trying to show what advisors can actually do that you can't do for yourself um, and show you how much we really know the destinations that we visit. Um, So being able to use modern technology, social media, um, and being able to be on the ground ourselves visiting these destinations really sets us apart from previous generations who were very much order takers um, and almost like travel secretaries because people didn't have access to the information that's on the internet. Now that people can look up flights and book a hotel with the click of a button, advisors really need to be a lot more than just order takers. I think that's a really good point. You know, I like to tell a story about my younger years of travel. When I was in, this was like maybe 13 years ago, um, I was in my late 20s, maybe 30, and I was headed to New Zealand. I had booked, you know, trip of a lifetime, two weeks in New Zealand with a tour group. And due to, and I used a travel advisor to book all of my flights because then once I got to New Zealand, I was using the package of the tour group. And through a series of um, just life events, I missed my connection in LAX that was to take me to Queenstown, New Zealand. And this, I still remember it was late at night. I'd missed my connection because my um, other flight was delayed. You know, it just happens with travel. And I remember sobbing in the ticketing area of LAX, about to give my credit card to a Qantas agent to book another ticket to get me to Queenstown because um, we were going to get on a boat. And I just remember thinking, if I miss the boat, I miss like the first half of this New Zealand trip. And I'm panicking. It's the most money I'd ever spent on a trip in my life. And then I remembered, I was like, oh, wait, I used a travel advisor to book my flight. 
So I called my travel advisor, and um, I still remember to this day, he was a young man, and he said, Amy, I just got you a room at the airport Marriott at my special rate. You're going to go there, check in. I need you to get a good night of sleep, and when you wake up in the morning, this will all be sorted out. And sure enough, I woke up in the morning with fully rebooked tickets. I did miss the first day and a half of the trip, but it, it was okay. I, I mean, honestly... and. I remember right then at the young age of whatever I was at that time, maybe 29 or 30, thinking I'll never book another important trip again without a travel advisor because not if, but when something happens, I need an ally who can help help me sort it out. I would have been out thousands of dollars with that trip rather than you know the $50 or whatever I'd at the time paid my travel advisor to help me book. So you know, I personally really see the value in it. And I think what you just said makes a lot of sense too. I think a lot of people today think, well, I can just book my own travel. You can, um, but have you stayed at that hotel? Are you willing to risk $3,000 on a hotel you've never seen, on a meal you've never eaten, on a tour you've never taken? And um, so, you know, as, if, if someone's listening to this and they're like, I don't need a travel advisor. I have Google. I have, you know, I have the internet. I can do this. What are a couple of examples of things that that really bring the value of a travel advisor to a traveler? Um, and what are some maybe even some real world things you've seen, like my New Zealand airport debacle? Yeah, I mean, I will say that, look, as much as we would like everyone to work with a travel advisor, it's not for everyone. If you have a ton of time to spend doing the research, you like doing the research, you don't mind, you know, booking an Airbnb and taking, you know, your, your risks with a hotel that you found online, you know, if you're, you are that kind of price conscious, um, very detail oriented um, traveler and you feel comfortable booking your own trips, that's fine, and, and that's really where the internet will shine, will help you do what you do, and that's where the internet's really valuable. However, um, for the people whose time is really valuable, that they don't have the time to do the planning, um, who have limited vacation time, and they want to make sure everything goes uh, perfectly, they don't want to read a review online that says, you know, the rooms are huge and then show up and find that they're small um, because everything is, you know, based on perspective. Um, the advisor can really, really shine in helping get to know you, your, your interests, what you like to do when you travel, um, and custom tailor your trip based on your specific needs. Um, but beyond the planning stage, then there's also, like you were talking about, the actual travel experience where if your flight gets booked, uh, gets canceled, you, you know, can go to sleep at the hotel because your advisor is getting you rebooked for the next morning. Um, or you show up at a property that if you booked on an online travel agency, call an OTA, you'd probably be given the worst room in the house just because of how, you know, this, this system works. Um, but if you're booking with a top advisor, um, the hotel sees where the booking comes from, and they're going to give you a better room if they can. They're going to extend any perks or amenities that come along with your consortia or agency programs. Um, so you have an, an uh, Amy, your favorite word, elevated experience uh, on the ground because of who you worked with. Um, and I think that's something that's lost on a lot of people because they like the research phase and they like 
that it's customized based on what they like and what they find interesting. But I always tell people to take that information and then go to an advisor with that information. Um, I've had many arguments with people who told me, you know, they wanted to stay at some place that was number one on TripAdvisor, and I said, well, I visited all of those top ten, and I won't sell numbers one or two for these reasons, and number six is my favorite, and that's because it's primarily occupied by, by presidents and CEOs who don't write reviews. So, you know, if you are looking for that really, you know, high touch, high quality service and your time is valuable and you don't mind, you know, giving up a little bit of control, that's really who should be working with an advisor and that's our ideal client. I love that. So we've talked about the value of using an advisor um, and your group really specializes in millennial travelers for the most part. Is that right? So um, our organization is about 85% millennials, um, and just by that nature, a lot of them, you know, deal with their friends' honeymoons and whatnot, but um, they don't exclusively do millennial travelers, but I I would argue that that is obviously a huge um, amount of our business. Um, But we we deal with um, retirees, we deal with families, we deal with spring breakers who are Generation Z, (laughs) that's beyond us. So everyone in the organization has a different client base and a different business model, but we do definitely um, have a strong focus on both millennial advisors and millennials as travelers. Yeah. Attending travel conferences around the world, millennial travelers is always a hot topic. Um, How do we catch their attention? How do we maintain? How do we speak to them when they visit our property? What are a few things, um, if a hotelier or a travel brand is listening right now, what can they do to really capture and keep the attention and the loyalty of the millennial traveler today? Um, So there's a couple things that um, I've heard on many think tanks and many panels about millennial travelers. Um, One of I should preface this by saying millennial travelers are all completely different, just like every other generation of people. Um, I always use my sister as an example because she likes to go sit in an all-inclusive and not move for a week, and that's my worst nightmare. So, you know, just because we're millennials doesn't mean that we're exactly the same. However, there are some common threads. One of those things is we expect the convenience of things like free Wi-Fi, and we absolutely hate being nickel and dimed put the water in our room, give us the Wi-Fi, you know, throw in a little something here and there. We don't care if it's $20 more a night if there's something we're getting for it. But, you know, every time you have to turn around and pull out your credit card to pay for something or reach into your wallet, um, it kind of takes away from just being able to be laid back and enjoy your experience. Um, So that's definitely a big um, trend. Another thing um, on the advisor side is we could really use um, from our partners on the hotels and resort side some more digital resources that are really tailored for us, um, whether it's digital site visits, um, you know, social media promotions that we can share. It does seem like as our industry really does, um, the agency side does skew a lot older typically, um, it does seem like there isn't enough content Um, and information being put out there in a way that not only do we as millennial advisors resonate, but that we could send along to our clients. Um, 
So we definitely could use more resources like that um, to not only drive sales for us, but also for these hotel partners as well. Um, Another thing that people really care about, and it's funny because they think this is lost when they go to an advisor or, um, you know, have a travel guide, um, is, you know, having that local, authentic, unique experience that people will look up online and they'll read that somebody loved this cupcake shop and then they show up and there's a line down the block because it's been promoted so heavily that what made it special and unique is kind of lost. Um, so when we have suppliers that offer something special in their property that's only available to their guests, that's a huge selling point for us. Um, you know, and anything that they can offer that we can say, you have to stay here or visit this site because this is not your typical vacation. That's really cool. And then let's talk about social media a little bit. You know, over the past five years at JPR, we have a lot of hotels um, that we've partnered with to manage their social media. It, it was about five years ago, I feel like, that hotel owners really kind of woke up one day and said, oh, wait, social media is not just a nice to, it's a have to. And my Instagram feed is, you know, almost as important, if not more than my website homepage now. And, and so, um, so we have taken over and run the, um, Instagram and Facebook channels for hotels around the world. And we're seeing such an impact and, um, specifically with millennial travelers, how important are your social channels and what can hotels be doing right on their social channels to get the attention of the millennial traveler and get them to book? Well, not trying to give you a plug here, but by going to someone like you to handle their channel, that's the first thing they can do, right? Because you do often find that these um, social media platforms for these different hotels are very generic, are very bland. Um, you know, maybe there's a pretty picture here, but they don't write anything in the caption that gives you any sense of, of feeling or place. Um, you know, they don't necessarily know how to take you know, a photo that look, might look great on the cover of a magazine is not necessarily the best thing for Instagram. Um, they're, you know, obviously each brand is different and they have a different team, but it is such a niche expertise that working with people who know what they're doing can definitely help with that um, immensely. Yeah. And what about engagement? You know, I feel like I'm, I like to go in and I like to test social media. So I'll go to a hotel site and make a comment, write a comment just to see if they respond back and what they say. And, um, how do millennial travelers feel about engagement? If they, if they write a comment, do they want a DM back? Do they want it liked? Do they want it commented back? Do they want to be followed back? Or is that creepy? You know, where do they stand? Sort of where they're, where do they draw the line on engagement versus intrusion? Um, I, I think it depends on, um, you know, the, the voice of the brand um, and how authentic it comes off. Um, you know, if the brand is a one small hotel in the middle of nowhere, you know, whatever they do to try to get more exposure isn't going to seem that overbearing. It's probably one person running their account. It might be, you know, a picture of the of the general manager, you know, whatever it is. It, it, it's more of a, of a focus. Um, if it is a huge chain, you know, we know how marketing works. We know how we get targeted. We know our email address ends up here and people are studying our data. And, you know, that's where we get a little bit more concerned. Um, I also think it depends 
on what the actual traveler is doing. If the traveler is posting a comment that is, you know, here's what I think you should do, or this is what I really like, they're telling you something because they want a response. If they're just putting, you know, a smiley face, then they probably just want to be followed back. So, you know, having somebody actually look at what the message is, what the engagement is, and then determine the right course of action from there. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, So as one of your good friends and a friend in the industry, of course, I know you personally, I follow you on social media, and it looks like being a travel advisor is the most glamorous job in the whole world. (laughs) And I know you're laughing too. It really, on social as it should, it does. It looks like all you do is travel the world and get to stay at the most exotic places. You were just in Africa for three weeks and you are regularly sunning yourself in the Caribbean. But as one of your best friends, I also know that's not true. (laughs) If, um, if someone is listening right now, any age, any type and says, you know, I really want to be a travel advisor. That looks like an amazing job. What are the, what are the pluses of being a travel advisor? And then what's the real world uh, reality check part of it? Okay. So first of all, if anybody wants to have some serious FOMO, my Instagram is Marissa goes global. And this is what Amy is referring to. Um, I can't tell you how many of the pictures you see were me literally posing, getting the photo, and then going on another site visit. Um, I do need to um, explain that, like, yes, we want you as as our follower, as a traveler, to think that this could be you sitting by the pool, living this life that I'm living. But I personally am not sitting by the pool all day. You know, I'm taking the picture to inspire your wanderlust, and then I'm off to you know my next visit, my next appointment, my next meeting. Um, I think the really important thing for people to understand is that travel advisors all have different business models, and um, there there are some people who are employees of larger agencies. But for the most part, at least on the luxury side, advisors are independent business owners, which gives them the flexibility to work from wherever, whenever, um, and to sell whatever kind of travel they want to sell. Um, so if you have people who you know have kids and pets and a mortgage, they're more likely to be home more often because of the social obligations that they have. Um, if you're like me and eternally single, you can be on the road as much as you want. Um, so, you know, I'm very, very quick to make the most out of a, you know, six week trip abroad because we're fortunate to live in this age where, you know, despite the many pros and cons of social media and technology, I can bring my laptop in my little purse here and go work from anywhere. So there's no reason for me to have to be in the office. And quite frankly, by being on the road, I know the people on the team at the hotels. I've seen all the properties and gotten to stay at them, try the restaurants, test out the spas. I know my life sounds very difficult. Um, But, you know, I know the product really well. And when A client does call and they ask about, or in our case, we get a lot more emails, texting, and Facebook messages than call, Um, but when they are asking about a specific property, if I were to look it up online and read the reviews that you see there, they're all, you know, you don't know who wrote them or it's someone who was paid to do it, whereas I can say, yeah, I was there last week. This is what I think, Um, but most importantly, an advisor's main job, and this is a big misconception, I think, 
a lot of people think advisors are out to make as much commission on you as possible, and therefore they're trying to upsell you, which is not the case. Advisors really are looking to make a long-term relationship with you, the same as your financial advisor. So they want you to come home happy from your trip. So we're not looking to just sell you anything. I want to talk to you, get to know you, what your preferences are, what kind of hotels you like, what your budget is, and then I want to customize something so perfect that you come back thinking, I need to call Marissa again for my next trip. So can I do that if I'm sitting in an office? Absolutely. There are plenty of advisors who do do that. Given the flexibility I have with my lifestyle and a lot of the other millennial advisors in Amico have, you know, am I going to spend more time on the road doing the research and then answering emails at four o'clock in the morning in my hotel room? Yeah, and I'll do that. You sure are. So, so it sounds like it's a really fun job for someone who's adventurous, likes to be on the road, but don't let the social media fool you. It's not just laying by pools and you know rosé all day. You're in meetings. You're on site tours. You're meeting with the um, hotel owners, the ex- excursion teams, and really. Um, doing your research. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. And then many advisors are independent contractors who build their own business. So this is also for that person who's hungry, who wants to build their brand, build their business. Yeah. You know, I will say um, when I was recruiting people for the next program and I would ask people, you know, what, um, you know, why they wanted to do this job, everyone's answer is because they love travel. And if there's one thing you can take away from this is if you get an interview at an agency and they ask you why you want to be an advisor, do not say it's because you love travel because it's basically you and almost everybody else on the planet. What makes a good advisor is someone with um, very strong attention to detail because one little mistake can, you know, send everything, you know, make a total mess out of everything. Um, But also personal skills. People skills are, are, I would say, number one, um, because you have to get your own clients. So you have to be able to walk into a, a networking event and go over to people and tell them your pitch. You need to be able to, you know, get up there on social media and tell the world about what you do and why you're excited about it. Um, You need to deal with clients when things go wrong. And, you know, as much as I'd love to pretend that I'm just sitting by the pool all day long, in reality, there's a lot of time problem solving and there's a lot of errors and and issues that you have to deal with. Um, And so, you know, it's a customer service job more than anything. So one, in doing the job, again, the attention to detail and the service and all of that is very important. But you're not going to be able to sell anything if you don't have clients. No one's going to hand you clients. So you really have to be one of those people that's hungry, that um, is tenacious, that's going to go out there and tell people what you do and why they should work with you and lock down partnerships that will solidify some business going forward. Yeah, that's that's great. I, um, <clears throat> I'm going to keep this very short. I have a much longer version of this story that I've told many people at this point, but I originally met Marissa at a networking event and without going into too much detail here, because it's like a five minute story, 
in a whole room of people who ignored me. And I was the keynote speaker at the event, standing alone by the coffee station. Marissa not only came up and introduced herself once, but then when she saw me still standing alone a few minutes later, came back, grabbed me by the arm and pulled me over to her group. And I, during my keynote later that day, looked at the entire room and I said, I want everyone to look at Marissa. And they looked at her and I said, she's going to eat you for lunch. <laughs> and it was, it was a room of travel advisors. And, and that was when I knew you knew what you were doing because it's all sales and it's all relationships. And so, um, so that was actually how our friendship started was because she grabbed me by the arm and pulled me into a, a room, but that, that is why you are who you are and why you do what you do and why you're meant to be such a leader in this space. I really believe that. Um, so, so this, I, I can't imagine anyone hearing this and not feeling like they should use a travel advisor going forward for important trips. Um, so now when I, I always love to ask this question, what is one place you've been that surprised you? You either went in thinking it wasn't going to be that great and it blew your mind, or be honest, was there some place you were so excited to go and maybe you were just a little bit underwhelmed? There are, you know, there, there's so much that you think that you see about our destination that you do go in there with these expectations. Um, one example I will think of is Rwanda. Um, you know, as the first thing that comes to mind for most people, you know, is the genocide. And that was, you know, what was it, 20, 20 almost 30 years ago now, in the early yeah. 90s? Yeah. Um, and basically, people would ask me when I said I was going there, you know, I was going to um, see the gorillas, and, and everyone's like, why are you going? And what's there to do? And sure, the gorillas were incredible, absolutely. But what I found more impressive was the society. You know, this was a, a place where I was in um, the, the Genocide Museum and the woman who was taking me around showed me a picture of her as a little girl next to her parents on the ground there. And it was amazing that this isn't, we're not talking about something that happened 50 years ago or 70 years ago. You know, this was in our recent history and the people were so unbelievably friendly which I just thought was amazing given what they had been through in, in many of their lifetimes. Um, it is the cleanest country. They, they go out, I believe it's the first Friday of every month, and every citizen is required to pick up all the garbage. Um, there are more women in the parliament than in any other country, or percentage-wise at least, in any other country. And I just had this impression, as Rwanda being you know, this, the, the remnants of what had happened, and actually, it, it's a beacon of hope in Africa. It's really just such a beautiful, special place. And I did not know what I was getting into when I went, but I left completely in love with the country. Oh, that makes me really happy to hear. That's really cool. I'll put that. I'm starting to look at my 2019 travel and play around. The New York Times um, came out with their 52 places to go list. I think it came out a bit ago, but really went big yesterday. And I went through all the places and I'm like, oh man, I think it's time to start booking some flights. <laughs> well, Marissa, thank you so much. I really enjoyed having you here today. And um, to everyone who's listening, again, just remind them where they can find you if they just want to connect with you on social or hear more about what you do. Oh, okay. So um, again, my Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, everything is Marissa Goes Global and I spell it M-A-R-I-S-A. Um, so if you try it with two S's, you won't find me. Easy enough. Marissa goes global. Well, Marissa Costa, thank you again for being here. And um, 
As always, to our listeners of Priority Status, we really appreciate you taking the time to be a part of this journey with us. And until next time, travel elevated.